Hi, Greg Perry, the Historic Preservationist. Welcome to Season 3, Episode 81. Um, today's episode, we're going to talk about Treasures of the Wallace Collection. I'm sure everybody knows about that. Does anything ever change at the Wallace Collection? A friend recently asked. Indeed. Much about the Wallace Collection seems quite immutable. And that timelessness is essential to the charm. But the museum is finding subtle and intelligent ways of becoming quite current. Every month, familiar objects come in a new light, thanks to the email that tells everyone about the, quote, treasure of the month. When visitors enter Hereford House, where Sir Richard Wallace housed his collection, and which his window... His widow bequeathed to the nation a monumental staircase that rises immediately in front of them. So I'd climbed that staircase many times, but I never noticed the details of the wrought iron balustrade. Then it was featured in uh, as a treasure for June 2010. And I realized that, like so many objects in the galleries that surround it, that balustrade provides a unique window into the ancient re- regime of France. In 1790, Scottish economist and financier John Law acquired the Hotel de Nevers, a great Parisian townhouse. He soon added a staircase described in a contemporary guidebook to Paris as particularly spacious and attractive. Law, whom the same guide said possessed a fortune without example, had promised to simulate France's failing economy by relying on paper, money, and dividend-bearing shares rather than his typical metal and by vastly, vastly increasing the money supply in France. He soon made that townhouse the home of the country's first ever royal bank, and he commissioned an appropriate staircase it featured horns of plenty, some of which overflow with fruit and grain, traditional symbols of abundance, of course. Others, however, are very modern cornucopias spilling over the reproductions of actual gold coins and banknotes of the day. Law's new method did bring sudden wealth to many. The word millionaire was invented to describe the lucky investors in his so-called system. But the prosperity was short-lived. So a run on the Royal Bank in 1720 brought about the collapse of the staircase, and it was demolished in the 1870s. Its balustrade was acquired by Wallace and installed at the Herefordshire House. The balustrade is a perfect introduction to some of the collection's greatest masterworks, such as its eight canvases by Anton Watteau, No artist better represents Paris during the boom and bust cycle for for which Law was responsible than Watteau, whose career was made possible not by royal patronage, but by individuals linked to the world of high finance. The exquisite tiny paintings from 1720 features scenes in an iconic neighborhood of the city on the Champs-Élysées, the Great Avenue, was then a recent addition to Paris's suburban fabric. 
All around it was an area filled with greenery and walking paths, an early precursor of today's city parks, where Parisians like those in Watteau's image loved to spend their Sundays. As they relaxed on the grass, they could have admired the facade of the area's first monument, the grand mansion of the Comte d'Eau, married to the niece of Watteau's major patron, financier, and art collector, Pierre Crozat, newly built from Atto's profits on investments in Law's Bank. So this was the official residence of the President of France at that time. And just before he declared bankruptcy, Law himself had purchased the lot next door to build his own townhouse on. Financiers such as the um, Augustin Blondel de Gaggi, who were early owners of Watteau's now famous works in the Wallace Collection, were also among the first to collect the furniture of André Charles Boulle, the greatest ebonista or furniture maker of Louis XIV's reign. The catalog for the famous 1777 Julio sale was featured pieces from early Boulle collectors, such as Pierre-Louis Paul Randon de Boissot, a figure prominent in Louis XV's financial administration, proclaimed that connoisseurs agree that nothing decorates a room more superbly than Bull's furniture. The Wallace displays an early 18th century commode that figured in the Julio sale and was closely related to models made for Louis XIV. The Wallace Bull's holdings are among the most extensive anywhere in the world. One particularly appealing piece is a console table closely related to the Sun King's court. To furnish the complete suite, a tiny chateau de Versailles Park that he had given to the Duchess de Bourgogne, his grandson's wife, and the mother of future Louis XV in 1701. Louis XIV commissioned a series of small tables from Bull. The models Bull produced lived to be up to be the monarch's desire for the decor, which would be fresh and youthful in the room and throughout the uh, throughout the chateau, and formed a setting in which a young mother and a young family could escape from the rigidity of typical court etiquette. But in comparison with the overwhelmingly grand scale of other royal furniture of the day, the pieces were still quite diminutive. In the years immediately following uh, this, these huge commissions, Bull continued to produce models that closely resembled those created for the Duchess of de Burgoyne. The Wallace console table is on a scale that would suit a room designed for everyday life rather than just court ceremonies. Its top shows off the technique of marquetry, combining tortoiseshell and metal that Bull devised and that subsequently was so often copied that it became popular known as Bull Marquetry. So, on the other Wallace table, um, Bull featured monkeys. Some of them play musical instruments, such as bagpipes. Others are walking on a tightrope, in an attempt to reach otherwise inaccessible bunches of grapes, all done in very rare African exotic woods in the form of marquetry. Other notable Wallace pieces that are of royal provenance were likewise commissioned by or for key women of the French court.
In this respect, the museum's extensive collection of Sevres soft paste porcelain to, is set to exemplary. In 1756, the Royal Porcelain Manufactory moved to its present location, a site just near Versailles and adjacent to the Bellevue. The chateau, whose construction Sev's patron, the Marquis de Pompadour, had recently supervised. In December of 1759, the Marquis and Louis XV visited the manufactory and made important purchases, both of which are now displayed in the same case. The Marquise chose a tea service, charmingly decorated with scenes of small children at play. The king selected a garniture of three vases, also in underglaze blue and overglaze green, and decorated with similar floral motifs, but far less typical of the Sevres production from the 1750s. Each vase features a military scene and included soldiers playing cards while their dinner is cooked over a campfire, soldiers lounging about with arms at rest. So in 1759, France was heavily impacted in the Seven Years' War and would soon have disastrous consequences for its overseas territories. During the previous year, the French army, while larger, had lost key battles to the enemy's strategically superior forces. It is hard to imagine that Louis XV did not remember his kingdom's military crisis when he made this particular purchase. The Wallace owns a lovely small portrait of the Marquis de Pompadour. The same room in which it hangs also displays six of a series of chairs, typical of the quiet elegance of the neoclassical French furniture produced in the last eight years before the Revolution. Made in 1786 by Jean-Baptiste Boulard, they are, were ordered as a handwritten label on one chair, which specifies, for royal use in the Salon de Jeu, designed for after-dinner card games at Fontainebleau Palace. With their particularly low frames and separate cushions, these were clearly ladies' chairs intended for Marie Antoinette. Today, the chairs are upholstered in a fabric that reproduces the original and that, like, like it, was woven in Lyon. The Wallace Collection has notable strength in many other areas, a distinguished collection of Dutch paintings, a remarkable display of arms and armor, but the intertwined flowering of painting and the decorative arts in France under the last three, more ar- <coughs> three monarchs of the Bourbon dynasty Louis XIV, Louis XV, and Louis XVI occupies a very privileged space. The Wallace's holdings and paintings and decorative arts of 17th and 18th century France are of a range and a quality that few museums anywhere in the world can match. So this point comes home when visitors climb John Law's staircase and find themselves surrounded on the upper landings by canvases by Boucher, who was the Marquise de Pompadour's favorite artist. The Wallace has a premier Boucher collection. The Goncourt brothers, who were the first to pronounce the scenes featured um, on a summit of artistry at the Wallace, the setting of the sun and the rising of the sun, were painted as preparatory cartoons for tapestry commissioned by the Marquise from the Goblin's workshop in 1752. 
The tapestries surrounded Louis XV's bed at Bellevue. The cartoons hung on a ground-floor room. Apollo was a clear allusion to the French king, for whom Bellevue, like the menage for his mother, the Duchess de Burgoyne, provided a haven from the obligations of his official life. The setting of the sun shows the sun god after a day spent driving his chariot across the heavens, returning for the night to the river gods and the arms of the water nymph, the, the water nymphs, always identified the Lady Bellevue, the Marquise de Pompadour. So, um, it's a wonderful thing. Uh, you want to check the time of year. Um, they have different schedules coming back up after COVID. And uh, from what I understand, they're getting up to uh, pre-COVID levels to, to uh, tour the museum. And uh, so check their, their email or their website, rather. And, uh, and if you don't want to get, uh, don't get the information you want, send them an email and see. They also produce uh, private tours for groups over 25 and uh, and they have docents that uh, can pull things out of uh, storage for you if you're aware of what they have there. So anyway, Greg Perry, the historic preservationist, signing out. Thanks for listening.